Welcome to the Benefits Executive Roundtable, hosted by Dorothy Koshu, President of Advanced Benefit Consulting. Dorothy is a nationally recognized benefits and compliance consultant and group health broker. Here, you'll listen to industry experts break down the latest news and trends in employee benefits, healthcare reform, regulations and compliance, all designed to empower executive decisions. Hello, everyone. I'm Dorothy Koshu, host of the Benefits Executive Roundtable. I'm happy to have with me today as my guest, Dan Baker, Vice President of Sales at Marianne Wessel, Senior Account Manager of EBA&M Corporation at TPA in Irvine, California. I've had the pleasure of working with Dan and Marianne for decades now. Welcome, Dan. Welcome, Marianne. Hi, Dorothy. Thanks for having us back. Well, Dorothy, here we are again, fourth quarter, which means the busiest quarter for renewals and open enrollment. Um, we've done a lot of renewals at this time and done a lot of open enrollments. And thanks so much, Dorothy, for asking us to be guests on your podcast this week. And thanks for um, asking us to help you tackle all of the important topics that we're going to discuss. Oh, thank you. And you're welcome. <laughs> I really enjoy having you guys here. As as many of the listeners know, I've had EBAM on the podcast more than once, and I'm always really, really happy to have you as my guest. Uh, yes, Marianne, as you're right, we're here again in the fourth quarter, which means it's the busiest quarter for all of us for renewals and open enrollment. And uh, we've done a lot of renewals already, and we're still working on plenty more and some of them with you guys, and it's been great working with you guys. I really have a lot to talk to you about today, and I'm really glad that you're here because I think we have a lot of things to tackle in this uh, in, in this podcast today for our listeners. Well, let's start with breaking the renewal and open enrollment season down into two categories. First, renewal quoting and sales on that side, you know, getting all the options on the table and making final renewal decisions. And then second, account management and service as it relates to renewals and open enrollment. I guess we should start with what naturally has to come first, which is the renewal quoting and sales decisions. So Dan, what are your recommendations for a timeline for renewal quoting and sales and how far ahead of the renewal date do you recommend going out to bid for stop loss? rates and contract terms uh, if you're self-funding? Well, ideally, 120 days out from the renewal or effective date. Uh, the, the time frame allows us as the TPA to work with all of our benefit partners to work through all the complexities that come with the renewal. The time frame is also impacted by the type of business we're writing for the renewal or even a new group with a new effective date. The cleaner the submission, the easier it is to work within that time frame, the messier the submission, the more difficult and more time-consuming it becomes. So you said messier. What do you mean? Give us some examples of what is a messy quote request. Incomplete information, uh, lack of information. One of the reasons for starting the process four months out is it takes us a long time to collect all of the information needed for the renewal, whether that's large claim information, pharmacy benefit claims information, complete census information from the group. There's a lot of uh, due diligence that goes into renewals and new group submissions. The time frame allows us to work with our brokers and their clients to make sure that we have all the information necessary for our underwriters to make sound underwriting decisions. Thank you. Thank you very much, Dan. So do the majority of the brokers that you work with have you guys as the TPA quote the stop loss or do they do their own quoting or is it kind of a combination of you and them? Well, it shifted over the years. Uh, Ten years ago, we secured most of the stop loss on behalf of our brokers. Now we secure about 30, maybe 40 percent of the stop loss. More brokers are taking it on in-house uh, on behalf of their employers and, and uh, removing a TPA from the shopping process. 
Yes, I know we're one of those that uh, actually we go out on our own, uh, but then on certain groups, if they're specialty groups, if there's something that we think you might have a better market for, of course, we actually go out to you guys as well. It's always nice to have a lot of quotes to look at. And, you know, you guys are adding new carriers all the time. We're adding carriers. So it's kind of nice to have that combination, I think, uh, at least from our perspective as a broker and consulting house. And we do see more of that combination where the broker may be shopping or using um an outside entity to do shopping, but at the same time still asking us to take a look at our market, our marketplace. Yeah. So who reviews the excess loss contracts when you show a broker, an employer group, an excess loss carrier that they've never heard of? I mean, do you advise them on terms, definitions? Do you do any types of comparisons uh, from one stop loss carrier to another? If we're placing the stop loss, we present the stop loss. That includes initial quotes, all contingencies, all the way through securing the contracts. We take the extra time necessary to introduce new carriers that we're quoting, but they're also new to broker relationships as well. If, so if, if it's our responsibility, we take that responsibility from initial uh, vetting of carrier markets all the way through quoting, placement, and signed contracts. Okay, thanks. But do you actually go through the contract with them and, and tell them, for example, if there's something that they need to be aware of in this contract that might be a little different from what they've seen from maybe other excess uh, carrier contracts in the past? We, we do. I, I, again, if we're responsible for generating the quote, then we take the lead to ensure all elements of the stop-loss quote are understood front and back. It's important for our broker partners to feel comfortable having EBAM place that stop-loss, which is arguably the largest premium dollars in any self-funded plan. Right. Yeah, well, thank you for clarifying that. Do you just provide raw quotes or you do full proposals with stop loss rates in, you know, in them for uh, most of the brokers that you work with? So each stop loss quote is coordinated with a complete self-funded proposal, either replacing the existing self-funded relationships or fully insured relationships. Brokers and employers have kind of come to expect that from us, a complete proposal from soup to nuts. If the request is coming in, for stop loss, there's typically a second and even third request attached to that, which is also quote a self-funded replacement product, also quote all the components of a self-funded product, including managed care, provider networks, pharmacy benefit relationships, wellness programs, and all ancillary programs that attach to it. Okay, great. So it sounds like you're kind of a one-stop shop as far as that goes, which is always good for a broker that's needing a little bit of extra assistance. Uh, as you're preparing for renewal, let's take a look at you know what you need to do, what you need to look at besides the stop-loss quoting. And Dan, you mentioned some of it. As consultants and brokers, you know we need to take a look at the networks that we're working with. You know what savings do they offer? How do they compare with other networks? You know whether the network has been effective and if it covers the population and the needs of the group. You know, we need to look at other financing options, such as reference-based pricing and so forth. So this starts sometimes at least six months prior to the renewal for us, just because, you know, sometimes we know we're going to be introducing new concepts for the next renewal, and that might take a little bit longer. So we know that there are additional needs that we want to address. What do you see as a TPA? How far out do brokers and consultants start asking, you know, for things like reports and data and, and you know, and having you do analysis for them and so forth? You know, what are you usually looking at? Well, it's similar to what you just described, but I'm going to have Mary Ann respond to this because it's really, it falls into her area of responsibility. It's, it's Marianne and her team that really uh, lead this charge. So as you know, Dorothy, um, from working with us, and we do this not only on your account, but of, of course all of our accounts, 
in account management department, we are looking every single month all through the year at the aggregate and aggregate reporting and the large claim reporting that we provide to you as the broker and the client. We're monitoring that every single month. Uh, we do that even after the close of the renewal. Uh, the first couple months of the new plan year, we're reviewing that and looking at it and, and really planning ahead, I guess, for the next renewal. Um, we are um, we are really sensitive to the fact that we have to be that ongoing source for brokers and our clients um, to provide them with information on an ongoing basis. Um, we are starting our renewal process. It, what is interesting um, as in the industry is that we always used to say, as you will recall, that uh, the day after Labor Day, we came back and started our January renewals, which of course is our busiest um, busiest renewal season. Now we really begin in June. Um, I started as early as June this year looking at um, January uh, renewals, starting to provide our brokers with information, um, consulting with them on what we expected. So it's getting earlier and earlier every year. Um, certainly, as Dan mentioned, that 120-day process is important and as we get now into the September, October um, period of time, speaking of January renewals, what we are finding is that we are increasingly having to reach out to medical providers for more information on, um, on claimants that are having large claims, um, getting the details, getting the prognosis, finding out what the current, what the current treatment is, and what it's going to be, because as we all know, being in this industry, there's a claims lag. We can pull a lot of information from our claims department, but because of the claims lag, the current treatment may have changed in recent weeks. And that is the information that our stop loss carriers are looking for. Yeah, I can agree with that. And I know that in my office, Anthony works with you guys quite early on to get all this information and, and, um, he's constantly trying to get updates on those reports and so forth, utilization review reports, you know, case management reports, all kinds of things, because that can affect the rates and that, that really can affect the stop loss quotes. Um, you know, if you have information that's, 10 months old, uh, you may not be able to get any discounts or, you know, they might not give you any special considerations, but if you can, you know, narrow that down as you get closer and keep updating it, um, I know that's a very important tool that we use in our office all the time, and I'm sure you do the same. Well, let's look at the type of reporting that you guys actually produce for the employers and for the brokers. I'm assuming that you give those to the brokers and the consultants, and they go ahead and in turn and, and uh, present those to their employer clients or have you do it with them. So what type of reporting do you guys usually produce for them? So our standard package includes the following reports. A paid claims summary, a claims by age report, the top 10 paid claims, the top 10 diagnosis codes, and as, as we all well know in this industry, that has, uh, that has in increased with the uh, volume of the new codes under the ICD-10 for the last couple of years versus ICD-9. We provide an urgent care usage report, um, an emergency room uh, usage report, cost by age group. And then what we believe here as a TBA is one of the most valuable reports for brokers in working with their clients. And that is what we call our coverage analysis report. Um, this report basically breaks down into all the important um, categories 
the types of services to which um, the claims are flowing. Hospital, Cairo, outpatient surgery, um, gets into a lot of a lot of refined details on those types of service so that brokers can help their clients see where those dollars are flowing under a self-funded plan. It captures current year to date, um, in-network, separated by in-network and out-of-network for each category. And then it also does a, what I think is a, or we think here is a great comparison to the prior plan year so that you can see the trends, you can see where things are increasing or decreasing and advise your clients um, accordingly to right. where their money is being spent. Right. And I'd imagine just because of COVID, uh, the 2020 and 2021 years, in fact, uh, as well, uh, they were obviously a little unusual. So are you seeing more brokers asking for maybe reports going back as far as 2019 so they can see kind of a three or four year history just so that they can kind of take into consideration the COVID years? <laughs> Absolutely. And that's, and, and if the brokers have been, if our broker consultants have been receiving those coverage analysis reports on a monthly basis, but for some reason, you know, have not captured them or retained them in their file. We certainly have the history here and we do provide them with the reports. Um, all the way back, I've had some brokers even ask back to 2017, 2018. And we do have that information um, if that account has been with us um, for that long period of time. We also have some other um, important reports where we reach out to our benefit uh, partners for the reports. And those are our pharmacy activity reports. We go out to our PBMs and our um, and our PBM consultants for those types of analysis and um, detailed reports, which not only the, the employer, as you know, and you as a broker consultant need, but also the stop loss carriers are asking for all of that detail, um, increasingly asking for that kind of detail. They're looking, of course, for the specialty trends and uh, the increase in the, in the pharmaceuticals. We reach out to our managed care and our provider networks for activity reports. And again, this may base, be based on a particular client and, and the needs of the client or the broker consultant. And then if we are, if we are handling any ancillary coverages like dental vision, chiropractic, um, we reach out for those reports to our benefit partners. And, you know, we even, um, we even get involved sometimes in reaching out to, um, to partners that the employer has on their EAP and wellness. And certainly one important um, report, and, and the nice thing about it is we can access that at any time. Uh, we can do it monthly or actually even weekly if we had to. And that is where an employer has implemented um, a, a, a healthiest you program, such as the one we offer through Teladoc, um, we are able to reach out to them at any point in time through the renewal, through the plan year, and get those utilization reports in detail, which is very important to show the importance of that telemedicine plan. Yeah, it, they're all very, really good reports as well, because I, as I said, I'm Obviously, we use you guys, and, and I'm familiar with them. I think, in general, those reports are very handy. Uh, and I know you kind of already answered this, but I'm going to swing back to it anyway, just because, uh, just to kind of firm this up and kind of put it all in a, in a little package here. How do these reports generally help employers in understanding truly what's going on with their group? Well, you will see from these reports the trends, the trends in healthcare spend, the trends which would include, of course, pharmacy, and um, really help. The broker consultant to um, to assist the employer in identifying ways to to change those trends to um, 
uh, to look at possible benefit design uh, changes that may mitigate uh, some of the spending if that is their goal. Um, so these these reports are are just critical um, in in making those kinds of evaluations that are important for self funded health plans. Okay, uh, well let me ask you a question: Do most brokers have you guys evaluate all the reporting to the client, or do they present um, all the information to the client themselves? I mean, I know that we ask for raw data and reports, and then we interpret it and make recommendations from what we see. Uh, obviously. Our or obviously our office has quite a bit more experience, I think, in the TPA side of this business because of the owners running TPAs and, and working in TPAs for so long. Uh, but in general, are we the exception or are we the norm? I mean, what what do brokers do as far as you know the analysis and evaluating what's going on? Uh, let me answer the first part of that question first, Dorothy. Most of our brokers are experienced brokers and know how to take these reports, interpret the, the data, and make best practice recommendations to their clients. Um, advanced benefit consulting operates just outside the norm of what we typically see with brokers. More sophisticated brokers like yourself like to have that raw data, which you can then drill down on and develop in your own reports from. Okay, thank you. Uh, what else are you advising employers or their brokers to look at before the renewal? Well, it all really depends on how the plan's operating on behalf of the client. In some cases, these plans are being monitored throughout the plan year. So any proposed changes or enhancements to the plan don't have to wait until that renewal uh, timeframe, that 120-day mark that that we use as as a guide. By the time the plan's ready for renewal, we're already taking action to remedy any issues we've identified during the plan year. There's really no reason to wait until the end of the year to accomplish this. A good plan evaluation will include that soup-to-nuts review, evaluating all plan components and identifying where changes or enhancements need to be made. That may include reviewing provider network outcomes to see if a better model uh, might be needed, which is where we see a lot of RBP interest come from. But again, all the components are under review, and as we get close to the renewal, their experience of their plan year comes into better focus, and we can make solid recommendations to the brokers or the clients. Well, thank you. And I'll ask something that I kind of asked before, but do most brokers have you evaluate and present, you know, to their clients additional options, uh, you know, or do they present all of the information themselves? What percentage of brokers you work with do you think really understand all the variables and what percentage just have a minimal amount of knowledge, you know, of the, of all the components within a self-funded plan, all of its many, many pieces? Yeah, but most of our brokers have the bandwidth and sophistication to perform this function on their own. Um, for our partners that don't, uh, we step in. Uh, Marianne and her team have a deep understanding of what our broker and employers need to make those informed decisions about their healthcare dollars. Uh, and it's, it's really Marianne and her team that provide that level of service and support that others typically won't. Um, you know, her, her, Marianne and her team really are responsible for ensuring that both the broker and the client understand where every healthcare dollar is being spent and why. And as you probably know, Dorothy, from working with us for many years, um, we have a number of very long-term clients, employers uh, that that have been with us for you know, 10, 15, 20, 25 plus years. Those long-term clients and their brokers, um, we know the level of expertise of the broker and the consultant 
Um, we know the involvement that um, the broker consultant wants us to be in either behind the scenes all along the process or more visibly when the renewal is actually presented. We know those clients. Where we in the account management team really have to monitor is when we write a new account with a broker with whom we've not worked before. And what happens during that implementation of that new client, and then as the months go by after implementation, is we get a good feel because we're talking to the broker, we're, we're emailing, we're, we're on the phone with the broker, we're really monitoring the level of knowledge that broker may have of self-funded plans and how they work and what alternatives are there and what to look at. And we do have a, a small percentage of brokers who really need, you know, what we call on the account management team, that hand-holding on, on a regular basis. The, the, I'll make one comment. The, the interesting thing is, is you work with a broker who really doesn't know or understand self-funding at the beginning. It's wonderful to see that progression over the years with that particular broker in their knowledge. They gain that knowledge and that expertise as the years go by. And that's that's a real that's a real that's a real win for us as a TBA. Yeah, I can imagine. I know it's it's uh, when you when you're a broker and you're absorbing all this and you're going through the process and you're uh, working with the TPA and working with the client and you're having to understand what's happening while it's happening and, and and make recommendations and so forth. You really you pretty much have to learn it because if you don't, you know, <laughs> it's right. it's going to be very apparent to your client very quickly. So uh, no one wants to be in that position. So yeah, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, well, let's just say that a group's been self-funded for a few years and has done really well with a good PPO network, a really strong network. Do you as a TPA make recommendations to look at other funding options like perhaps reference-based pricing or do you leave that up to the broker and consultant? We. We will. And one of our goals as a TPA is to ensure that we're making the best recommendations possible for our clients based on their experience and, and even their expectations. Um, we're operating in a very fluid environment right now. We're being pitched healthcare and benefit initiatives all the time. So whether it's reviewing the impact of reference-based pricing models or pharmacy benefit programs that mitigate the cost of uh, high-cost specialty medi medications, it's our job to properly vet those initiatives and make recommendations to our brokers and their clients. And we do that. At the end of the day, it's our ability to collaborate with brokers, employers, and our benefit vendors that produces the best outcomes for everyone. Yeah, for sure. So how involved are you guys at EBAM in the education you know, of employers on something new like reference-based pricing? Well, we like to be involved. Um, and, you know, we, we like to, um, to share that information. Anytime we're learning about new programs, as Dan mentioned, um, we like to share that information with our brokers and really, and really try to assist as much as we can. Um, and, and as you know, Dorothy, we, one of the things that I think that we enjoy and, and feel as a, as a responsibility as the TBA is to, continue to help you and other broker consultants educate the employers. Um, so it's a responsibility that we have um, in our service as a TPA. 
Yeah. And just kind of continuing with that, how important do you think education is to that employer if they seem to show some sort of interest in a concept like reference-based pricing, which is pretty complicated and, and very, very different from what they've seen in the past? I think next to, to in the case of reference-based pricing, next to effective provider negotiations, the education is the most critical element uh, to the su success of a plan. It is critical, and it's interesting as as we get involved on a reference-based pricing plan um, where we begin to talk with an actual plan participant, usually the employee, sometimes the spouse, but generally the employee, what we what we come to to realize is that that employee did sit through the open enrollment, did sit through the education that that um, that you provide to your clients, that brokers provide to their clients. We attend those meetings, but until that plan participant actually has a claim and is involved in the mechanics, for lack of a better word, of reference based. It's at that point in time, one-on-one -on -one with that plan participant, where that refreshing of the memory comes into play. What they heard at open enrollment, what they received in the open enrollment packet, because now they're in a real situation. And most plan participants are very open to that. And many of them will say um, in my conversations with them, I remember that now. I remember hearing that. But until you have a real situation, um, you know, it's just human nature not to not to really or not to sink in until you're in that experience. So that's part of our that's part of our ongoing education. You know, Dorothy, you, you've probably heard it in the last few years. Uh, Reference-based pricing vendors have done a really good job of taking intimate, financially driven consumer problems centered around things like balance billing, collections and even write offs and turned it into what they call noise. That's what noise means. It means a family is stressing about financial issues related to a healthcare bill. EBAN takes a member's first approach to managing these benefits. That means members that are educated on what the benefits are, how to use them, and what the outcomes should be and what to expect. We try and eliminate any surprise because most of the time, they impact family members negatively. We're trying to minimize and eliminate what these vendors call noise. Well, what are some of the best ways to educate employers, you know, HR departments and employees, if an employer decides they want to change to an RBP plan? Um, Dorothy, I think the initial phase, of course, is is to make sure that the decision makers at the employers, the HR, as you've mentioned, uh, the financial people, the support people in the HR department, that they have a really good understanding of reference-based pricing plans both the positive and, I don't want to use the word negative, but the, um, the nuances that come along with a, with a reference-based pricing plan. If they are educated, if they embrace it, if they understand it, they can certainly help the plan participants. But it's important for us as a TPA to also understand or, or know and communicate that um, we're here behind that HR department. We're here... If, if there is a, a, a more difficult or com complex situation that we are the partner, we're the TBA partner with you, the broker and the TB and the uh, employer 
um, to help when there is a plan participant issue on a reference based. And do you advise them of your personal experience, you know, with one RBP vendor versus another, or is that entirely the broker's job in your opinion? If we're asked, um, if we are asked, we, um, we like to remain um, very neutral um, when it comes to RBP vendors. However, if we are asked by a broker consultant or an employer, generally by a broker, um, our experiences with various vendors, uh, reference-based pricing vendors or partners, we will, um, we will give them uh, an honest evaluation um, because it's just like being a TPA. You know, there are, we have our strengths and, and, and we have, and we have weaknesses and any entity that's in this business is going to be in that same situation. Um, so we, we try to aid, but we try to aid in giving information, but only if we're asked. Okay. So how have things changed post pandemic in general when reviewing a self-funded plan, reviewing their renewal? You know, how often do your clients have in-person meetings now versus remote Zoom type open enrollment meetings now that we're late in 2022? We are beginning to um, be asked to attend more health fairs and open enrollment meetings. Um, as, as you well know, in August, we attended a couple for your um, for one of your accounts. I am also attending um, now a health fair open enrollment in early October with a client that had those same meetings uh, for years, but was postponed in the last couple of years. They're now having um, they're now having an, an open meeting again with plan participants. So we're we're very we're very happy about that because the interaction um, with the employees, for them to see us as a TBA, for them to be able to um, ask questions, uh, make comments, um, we learn um, from those experiences. So we're seeing more of it. We're very happy about that. I did want to make one other comment um, that we are also seeing in this renewal season. And again, it is post-pandemic. What we are seeing is we are seeing very much an upward trend in, um, in claims because people who were postponing those elective surgeries, those elective the, uh, things that could be postponed, um, they are now getting treatment. So the renewals that I'm in the midst of right now, uh, we are seeing... Um, we are seeing higher loss ratios. Uh, we're seeing a number of um, higher specifics being being set. Um, it's 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 the it's the it's the lingering effects of the uh, of the of the pandemic when services were not performed except for those that were critical. Yeah, and I'm really happy that more people are going back to in-person meetings as well because, you know, we all kind of got tired of looking at our Zoom screens uh, for that for that couple of years. But are you seeing any more Zoom meetings now? Because we can go back in person, but I, do you see some clients, some employers that uh, actually still want to do them, maybe for the remote employees and so forth? What has your experience been with that lately? It, it's starting to, to change. Uh, many employers are starting to open back up the in-person meetings. But there's still a larger than normal amount that are still requesting remote open enrollments. Uh, we don't expect that to change much unless employers start requiring employees to come back into a central work location. Remote open enrollments, I think they're here to stay. And I think these types of open enrollments are only going to get better with time. 
Yeah, I've seen the same thing because, uh, yeah, some of our clients basically have moved to uh, putting 30, 40, 50% of their staff working from home and, and it seems to be working for them. It's, it's financially really good for the employer sometimes because they don't have to have quite so much office space and, and they're learning how to manage those employees and monitor them and so forth, uh, you know, in remote areas and working from home and so forth. And yeah, I think you're right. I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon. I think it's going to be a good combination uh, of, of both. And I think that's actually a good thing. We still want to see people in person when we can, but it's nice to know that we have that technology now and we can do these things and we're making them so much better now than we did. Remember in 2020, we were just scrambling to figure out how to service these people with their renewal season and with uh, open enrollment activities. And, and now we've found so many unique and fun ways to do it, uh, even if you have to do Zoom. So I, I actually think it's kind of exciting to be able to do both. Yeah, I think the, the industry's um, adjusted uh, very well to this and adopted a lot of the new um, uh, digital technologies that are needed to, to reach out to employees in remote locations. One of the benefits of that is, is that if open enrollments are being held uh, remotely, uh, employees have the opportunity to bring their dependents into the discussion. So, you know, traditionally, employees will sit through an open enrollment, take all of this information home, put it on their, their dinner table and share it with their spouse, who's typically responsible for trying to translate all of this industry jargon into some layman information that they can understand. In this situation, they're right there in the meetings. Nothing to, to translate, nothing to share because they're now participating. Right. It makes them more in, informed users of not just benefits, but the healthcare delivery system itself. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. So does EBAM provide any type of you know technological ex- assistance in these types of things, maybe videos or recordings or uh, anything like that uh, on things like RBP or new laws, you know, Transparency and Coverage, No Surprises Act? What do you guys do as far as, you know, technology and uh, providing support to, to employer groups uh, on that sort of thing? Well, all the tools that are, are made available for Mark partners and vendors are passed on to our clients. Um, many now are moving to, to put educational platforms on YouTube and other streaming services. This is allowing them to provide streaming content that can be viewed whenever necessary. And as I just mentioned, by anybody that wants to sit, sit in on the open enrollment, including spouses, uh, that's all supported by traditional education uh, programs that come from us and our partners throughout the plan year and again on renewal. So whether it's uh, providing hard copy content, uh, same content in digital formats or through streaming services, uh, EBAM and our partners are adopting all of this very quickly. Um, again, it's being led by employers, it's being supported by their brokers, and it's being requested of us as a, as a vendor and our other partners to ensure that uh, we meet the, the educational needs of the members in the format that they wanted it. Right, right. Well, let's talk about some current things going on right now. Let's talk about the No Surprises Act. As of renewal dates on January 1st, 2022 and later, of course, the NSA requires new language on ID cards. Can you tell us what needed to be added in 2022 to those ID cards? Yes. So in 2022, we reissued all the ID cards to all of our clients. Um, The requirements required us to put on the ID cards the deductibles, both individual and family, both in and out of network, and then also the out-of-pocket maximums 
both individual and family, in network and out of network. Uh, so we were, um, as you know, uh, the ID cards have limited space. They're they're small, but um, our eligibility department, our administration department, was able to uh, to work through that and um, include that information on the ID cards. I think it was a good idea. I think it um, to have that information on the ID cards. Um, it's very important information. It, it's readily available on the ID uh, cards rather than having somebody look at their benefit summaries or their or their um, summary plan description. Um, it's good for the providers to have that information. So I thought that that was a, a, a good requirement under the new act. Okay. Uh, let's talk about PPO directory requirements under the No Surprises Act. We've always had on the EDAM website, of course, the uh, the link and the access to all of our PPOs, whether they be medical or, or dental. Um, and generally, those PPO networks um, through that link, you are able to look for specific doctors, facilities, but you also have on most of them the ability to um, to look at a full directory and and print if necessary. So the requirements for the um, for the update, the ninety day update, um, our our PPOs that we work with are national PPOs, and um, they are, are adhering to those requirements. Okay, well, let's talk about some of the other requirements for employers that are going on right now. Uh, can you walk us through the machine-readable file requirements, which started July 1st of 2022, and uh, upcoming in December, the CAA prescription drug reporting mandate, which is uh, something that uh, employers are starting to ask about now because December 27th is right around the corner. So what's your involvement in this, and what is it exactly that they need to do? So we have added on our website um, access to for plan participants to um, the machine uh, readable file um, to comply with that requirement. Um, these are accessible without a user name or a password, so anyone can go in and take a look at these. Um, we worked with our PPO vendors um, for these files. They are interesting, of course, if you look at them, because not sure how helpful they're going to be to uh, to plan participants. But um, but we are in compliance with that. We worked with our reference-based pricing uh, vendors and and networks that they um, that they may have a relationship with, um, and we are in compliance with that with that uh, requirement of the law. Yeah, that's those machine-readable files, by the way, for listeners, uh, if they're not quite sure what that's all about. These are not intended for plan participants to really uh, look at. I mean, they can. They're there. They're available if they want to. But the whole intent behind this was for machines to be able to read the files so that they can do data analysis and so forth mm -hmm. going, going forward. So I think it's important people understand this. This is not something intended for plan users uh, to, you know, log in or something like that. They don't even have to have a login. They can just go in and look at it. It's just right. for those for those data systems to be able to, those people that are actually doing statistical reporting and so forth, so that they can see it. And that's what it's all about. Uh, so I just want to make sure that people are aware of that. Um, but yeah, all the uh, plan years renewing between January 1st and July 1st had to comply by July 1st, 2022. And then all other renewal dates, you have to comply as of your 
uh, as of your renewal date. Now, grandfathered plans um, under the ACA are exempt from this, at least for the time being, until they decide otherwise, because the CAA does uh, have some additional requirements for grandfathered plans. But I just want to make sure that people are aware of the machine-readable file requirements. And as I mentioned, the, the CAA prescription drug reporting mandate, which is coming up, that, that, that deadline is December 27th. Do you guys have any comments on that and what people need to do on that? Yes. So we have been um, involved in that um, over the last, uh, about the last two months. Um, most of the data that is required um, is going to be provided by the by the PBMs, by the pharmacy benefit managers. You know, they have a series of reports that they are going to have to give to CMS, um, some of which are like spending by category, the top 50 most frequently used brand for a particular employer, um, rebates by therapeutic class, um, the top 50 drugs by spending increase. What our participation as a TBA has been, and it is interesting that we've only been contacted by one PBM of the multiple PBMs that we work with. And um, that's shocking so, to me, by the way. That's very shocking. Is, yes. And, and I've had many brokers and consultants um, email me and ask me about, have you been contacted by the particular PBM that um, that is involved with their group? Uh, with their account, their employer. And basically, um, one of the largest PBMs that we work with, which is Express Scripts, is the only PBM to date who has reached out to us. About uh, a month ago, I was asked to, to complete a very large data collection exhibit for them on all of our various accounts. But to date, that is the only PBM who has reached out to us. But um, we, we provided that. There was a de- uh, very quick deadline when it was sent to us. That it was a matter of a two days in which we had to get wow. it back to the PBM to get it to CMS. So I'm, I'm curious at this stage when we're going to hear from from some of the other national PBMs, the large PBMs with whom we do work. Yeah, well, I'm shocked that they haven't been contacting you yet, but uh, I think that uh, they're all still sort of scrambling to figure out what they need to do exactly. And I have a feeling that in the next 30 days or so, you guys are going to get swamped with these requests. The good news is you've already done this for one, so I'm guessing it's going to be pretty similar for all the other PBMs as they contact you because they do have to go you know, to the carriers and to the administrators because that's where the information is, where it lies. Uh, you know, with the claims data and so forth. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Uh, employers um, do have some some work to do on these things, but the majority of the work is generally going to be done by people like yourselves as an administrator. So, and and, and vendors that they're contracted with. So, you know, the the PBMs and so forth. So, I'm glad we brought that up because, I, I, like I said, I'm just shocked that that more haven't reached out to you. But stay tuned because they will be. <laughs> they're going to be. They will be. Yeah, they're just they're just trying to figure out themselves what they need to ask for. So. So they were pretty complicated regulations. So, uh, and I guess the I guess the good news on this is that the PBM that did reach out to us, um, we have the majority of our right. business with, right. so we do have that behind us. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Well, I think the PBMs may be uh, working behind the scenes to get this pushed back and are. even delayed further. I don't think it's going to get pushed back, but that probably is what they're doing. Um, but I think that more importantly, they're just, Dan, as you said, I think they're just working behind the scenes, trying to get their ducks in a row so that they know what to ask you guys for. Uh, I think they're hoping that the administrators and, and so forth will give them the information pretty rapidly and, uh, you know, meet the deadlines. But yeah, I have talked to several of them. 
recently, and they they seem to be in work mode trying to get their act together to get it out to get the data that they need so that they can report it. So it'll be interesting to see. <laughs> you know, it's funny, Dorothy. We started this conversation about uh, uh, what period of time it takes to start a renewal. How far out from a from a renewal date do we start collecting information? A lot of this legislation in the past year has really impacted that time frame for us yeah. because in the midst of uh, renewing groups and enrolling. Uh, new groups, we've had to enact this new legislation. So it's been a it's it's been a busy third quarter fourth, but a, a real busy fourth quarter for us. Not just because of the renewals, but because of this legislation that we've had to. Uh, uh, be ready for it. Right. And I just want to wrap it up with, uh, you know, you just, Dan, you just talked about this a little bit, but let's wrap it up with best case scenario. What's the perfect timeline for renewals and open enrollment? Starting when, wrapping when, give us a brief summary of the to-do items for, for renewal and open enrollment. Well, definitely the 120 days um, out is is the best scenario for us because of what we've talked about with all the information that has to be gathered and the back and forth and the evaluation, um, particularly from the stop loss carriers um, on the uh, on the numbers. What hasn't changed is even though we are starting and being asked to start much earlier. For stop loss renewals, it all comes down to September claims in October because our carriers still will not lock in. They may have we may have started giving them information in June and, and, and every week, every day, sometimes new information, but it comes down to that early October when we can produce September claims because the carriers will not lock in for, say, January prior, um, prior to October 1st. And, and there are a few carriers that we work with, not many, who even want to see October claims. But it's that, it's that 90 days out that is, has still not changed. That's always been the case, even right. though we start much earlier. Right. Unfortunately, we're out of time today. So I want to thank you guys very much for joining me today and sharing so much great information with our listeners. Thanks so much. Always a pleasure to talk with you, Dorothy. Thank you so much for asking us, Dorothy. Always a pleasure. Always my pleasure. So thank you again. If anybody should want to reach out to EBAM, how would they do that? It's fairly simple. Check us out at ebam.com. Follow us on LinkedIn or contact us at 1-800-249-8440. Great. Thank you very much. And thanks again to both of you and for everybody else out there. Please stay safe, stay healthy, and be sure to listen to our next podcast next week. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for compliance tips, cost containment ideas, new trends, and decision-making tools. This podcast is produced by Advanced Benefit Consulting, Anaheim, California. All views expressed are those of the host or interviewees and not necessarily those of Advanced Benefit Consulting. Information contained herein should not be construed as legal advice. We always recommend that you consult with your legal counsel as situations do vary. Ms. Koshu can be reached at 714-693-9754, extension 3. Toll free at 866-658-3835. Or visit our website at advancedbenefitconsulting.com.